Act Three of The Boars by Moliere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Three Scene One Erast La Montagne. It is true that on the one hand my efforts have succeeded, the object of my love is at length appeased but on the other hand i am wearied the cruel stars have persecuted my passion with double fury yes demi her guardian the worst of bores is again hostile to my tenderest desires has forbidden me to see his lovely niece and wishes to provide her tomorrow with another husband yet orphis in spite of his refusal deigns to grant me this evening a favour I have prevailed upon the fair one to suffer me to see her in her own house, in private. Love prefers above all secret favours. It finds a pleasure in the obstacle which it masters. The slightest conversation with the beloved beauty becomes, when it is forbidden, a supreme favour. I am going to the rendezvous. It is almost the hour, since I wish to be there rather before than after my time. Shall I follow you? No. I fear lest you should make me known to certain suspicious persons. But— I do not desire it. I must obey you. But at least, if at a distance— For the twentieth time will you hold your tongue, and will you never give up this practice of perpetually making yourself a troublesome servant? Scene 2. Caritides, Erast. Sir, it is an unseasonable time to do myself the honour of waiting upon you. Morning would be more fit for performing such a duty, but it is not very easy to meet you, for you are always asleep or in town. At least your servants so assure me. I have chosen this opportunity to see you, and yet this is a great happiness with which fortune favours me, for a couple of moments later I should have missed you. Sir, do you desire something of me? I quit myself, sir, of what I owe you, and come to you. Excuse the boldness which inspires me. Without so much ceremony, what have you to say to me? As the rank, wit, and generosity which every one extols in you. Yes, I am very much extolled. Never mind that, sir. Sir, it is a vast difficulty when a man has to introduce himself. We should always be presented to the great by people who commend us in words, whose voice, being listened to, delivers with authority what may cause our slender merit to be known. In short, I could have wished that some persons well informed could have told you, sir, what I am. I see sufficiently, sir, what you are. Your manner of accosting me makes that clear. Yes, I am a man of learning, charmed by your worth. But one of those learned men whose names end simply in us, nothing is so common as a name with a Latin termination. Those we dress in Greek have a much superior look, and in order to have one ending in east, I call myself Mr. Caridides. Caritide be it. What have you to say? I wish, sir, to read you a petition which I venture to beg of you to present to the king as your position enables you to do. Why, sir, you can present it yourself. 
it is true that the king grants that supreme favor but from the very excess of his rare kindness so many villainous petitions sir are presented that they choke the good ones the hope i entertain is that mine should be presented when his majesty is alone well you can do it and choose your own time ah sir the doorkeepers are such terrible fellows they treat men of learning like snobs and butts i can never get beyond the guard-room the ill-treatment i am compelled to suffer would make me withdraw from court for ever if i had not conceived with certain hope that you will be my mycenaeus with the king yes uh, your influence is to me a certain means well then give it me i will present it here it is but at least hear it read no that you may be acquainted with it sir i beg to the king sire your most humble most obedient most faithful and most learned subject and servant charidides a frenchman by birth a greek by profession having considered the great and notable abuses which are perpetrated in the inscriptions on the signs of the houses shops taverns bowling alleys and other places in your good city of paris inasmuch as certain ignorant composers of the said inscriptions subvert by a barbarous pernicious and hateful spelling every kind of sense and reason without any regard for etymology analogy energy or allegory whatsoever to the great scandal of the republic of letters and of the french nation which is degraded and dishonoured by the said abuses and gross faults in the eyes of strangers and notably of germans curious readers and inspectors of the said inscriptions this petition is very long and may very likely weary ah oh, sir not a word could be cut out finish quickly humbly petitions your majesty to constitute for the good of his state and the glory of his realm an office of controller supervisor corrector reviser and restorer in general of the said inscriptions and with this office to honour your suppliant as well as in consideration of his rare and eminent erudition as of the great and signal services which he has rendered to the state and to your majesty by making the anagram of your said majesty in french latin greek hebrew syriac chaldean arabic very good give it me quickly and retire it shall be seen by the king the thing is as good as done alas sir to show my petition is everything if the king but see it i am sure of my point for as his justice is great in all things he will never be able to refuse my prayer for the rest to raise your fame to the skies give me your name and surname in writing and i will make a poem in which the first letters of your name shall appear at both ends of the line and in each half measure yes you shall have it tomorrow mr caratide alone upon my word such learned men are perfect asses another time i should have heartily laughed at his folly scene three orma erast though a matter of great consequence brings me here i wished that man to leave before speaking to you very well but make haste for i wish to be gone i almost fancy that the man who has just left you has vastly annoyed you sir by his visit he is a troublesome old man whose mind is not quite right 
and for whom I have always some excuse ready to get rid of him. On the Mall, in the Luxembourg, and in the Tuileries, he wearies people with his fancies. Men like you should avoid the conversation of all those good-for-nothing pedants. For my part, I have no fear of troubling you, since I am come, sir, to make your fortune. Erast, aside. This is some alchemist. One of those creatures who have nothing, and are always promising you ever so much riches. Aloud. Have you discovered that blessed stone, sir, which alone can enrich all the kings of the earth? Aha! What a funny idea! Heaven forbid, sir, that I should be one of those fools. I do not foster idle dreams. I bring you here sound words of advice which I would communicate through you to the king, and which I always carry about me, sealed up. None of those silly plans and vain chimeras which are dinned in the ears of our superintendents, none of your beggarly schemes, which rise to no more than twenty or thirty millions, but one which, at the lowest reckoning, will give the king around four hundred millions yearly, with ease, without risk or suspicion, without oppressing the nation in any way. In short, it is a scheme for an inconceivable profit, which will be found feasible at the first explanation. Yes, if only through you I can be encouraged. Well, we will talk of it. I am rather in a hurry. If you will promise to keep it a secret, I will unfold to you this important scheme. No, no, I do not wish to know your secret. Sir, I believe you are too discreet to divulge it and I wish to communicate it to you frankly, in two words. I must see that no one can hear us. After seeing that no one is listening, he approaches Arast's ear. This marvelous plan, of which I am the inventor, is— A little farther off, sir, for a certain reason. You know, without any need of my telling you, the great profit which the king yearly receives from his seaports. Well, the plan of which no one has yet thought— and which is an easy matter, is to make all the coasts of France into famous ports. This would amount to vast sums, and if— The scheme is good, and will greatly please the king. Farewell. We shall see each other again. At all events, assist me, for you are the first to whom I have spoken of it. Yes, yes. If you would lend me a couple of pistols, you could repay yourself out of the profits of the scheme— Arast gives money to Ormain. Gladly. Alone. Would to heaven that at such a price I could get rid of all who trouble me. How ill-timed their visit is. At last I think I may go. Will anyone else come to detain me? Scene 4. Felin, Arast. Marquis, I have just heard strange tidings. What? That someone has just now quarreled with you with me. What is the use of dissimulation? I know on good authority that you have been called out, and as your friend I come, at all events, to offer you my services against all mankind. I am obliged to you, but believe me, you do me. You will not admit it, but you are going out without attendance. Stay in town or go into the country. You shall go nowhere without my accompanying you. Erast, aside. Oh, I shall go mad. Where is the use of hiding from me? I swear to you, Marquis, that you have been deceived. 
It is no use denying it. May heaven smite me if any dispute. Do you think I believe you? Good heaven, I tell you without concealment that. Do not think me such a dupe and simpleton. Will you oblige me? No. Leave me, I pray. Nothing of the sort, Marquis. An assignation tonight at a certain place. I do not quit you. Wherever it be, I mean to follow you. On my soul, since you mean me to have a quarrel, I agree to it to satisfy your zeal. I shall be with you, who put me in a rage, and of whom I cannot get rid by fair means. That is a sorry way of receiving the service of a friend. But as I do you so ill an office, farewell. Finish what you have on hand without me. You will be my friend when you leave me. Alone. But see what misfortunes happen to me. They will have made me miss the hour appointed. Scene five. Damis, Lapine, Erast, La Riviere, and his companions. Damis. Aside. What? The rascal hopes to obtain her in spite of me? Ah. My just wrath shall know how to prevent him. Erast, aside. I see someone there at Orphise's door. But must there always be some obstacle to the passion she sanctions? Damis, to Lepine. Yes, I have discovered that my niece, in spite of my care, is to receive Erast in her room tonight, alone. La Riviere to his companions. What do I hear those people saying of our master? Let us approach safely without betraying ourselves. Damis to Lepine. But before he has a chance of accomplishing his design, we must pierce his treacherous heart with a thousand blows. Go and fetch those whom I mentioned just now, and place them in ambush where I told you, so that at the name of Erast, they may be ready to avenge my honour, which his passion has the presumption to outrage, to break off the assignation which brings him here, and quench his guilty flame in his blood. La Riviere attacking Damis with his companions. Before your fury can destroy him, wretch, you shall have to deal with us. Though he would have killed me, honour urges me here to rescue the uncle of my mistress. To Damis. I am on your side, sir. He draws his sword and attacks La Riviere and his companions, whom he puts to flight. Heavens! By whose aid do I find myself saved from a certain death? To whom am I indebted for so rare a service? Arast, returning. In serving you, I have done but an act of justice. Heavens! Can I believe my ears? Is this the hand of Erast? Yes, yes, sir, it is I. Too happy that my hand has rescued you. Too unhappy in having deserved your hatred. What? Erast, whom I was resolved to have assassinated, has just used his sword to defend me. Oh, this is too much. My heart is compelled to yield. Whatever your love may have meditated tonight, this remarkable display of generosity ought to stifle all animosity. I blush for my crime and blame my prejudice. My hatred has too long done you injustice. To show you openly, I no longer entertain it. I unite you this very night to your love. 
Scene six. Orphise, Damis, Erast. Orphise, entering with a silver candlestick in her hand. Sir, what has happened that such a terrible disturbance? Niece, nothing but what is very agreeable, since, after having blamed for a long time your love for Erast, I now give him to you for a husband. His arm has warded off the deadly thrust aimed at me. I desire that your hand reward him. I owe everything to you. If, therefore, it is to pay him your debt, I consent, as he has saved your life. My heart is so overwhelmed by this great miracle, that amidst this ecstasy, I doubt if I am awake. Let us celebrate the happy lot that awaits you, and let our violins put us in a joyful mood. As the violins strike up, there is a knock at the door. Who knocks so loud? Scene 7. Damis, Orphis, Erast, Lepine. Sir, here are masks, with kits and tabors. The masks enter, filling the stage. What? Bores forever? Hello, God's there. Turn out these rascals for me. Ballet to Act Three. First entry. Swiss guards with halberds drive out all the troublesome masks, and then retire to make room for a dance of. Second entry. Four shepherds and a shepherdess, who, in the opinion of all who saw it, concluded the entertainment with much grace. End of Act Three. End of The Boars by Moliere.